Wow. Hey, I saw that uh, movie this week. It was very entertaining. Uh, lots of good special effects, and uh, you can see it in 3D. I, I want to talk to you about a couple themes that show up in the film Green Lantern, but I also want to look with you at God's Word today about a principle that literally runs from the very first book of the Bible all the way to the very last book of the Bible. There's 66 books in your Bible, um, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and this theme is consistent all right, all the way through. Uh, now, i got to tell you a little bit about the background of this story. There's Hal there. You saw him. And he comes upon, through a weird series of circumstances, upon a ring. This ring uh, has ancient origins way back like eons past. This is make-believe, by the way. Way on, you knew that, right? Way on eons past. And he puts this ring on. In fact, the ring chooses him because he has a quality about him that is necessary for every wearer of the ring. And by putting the ring on, he becomes a part of the Green Lantern Corps, an intergalactic i.e. make-believe, intergalactic, for those of you that believe in aliens and stuff, I don't know. Anyway, he puts his ring on, he becomes a part of an intergalactic core of Avengers, of peacekeepers, of justice seekers, and he has to be the first human to ever wear this ring. And he comes up against an enemy, an enemy that is basically the embodiment of fear. Fear is the problem here. And this fear feeds on itself, and it feeds on human beings. It feeds on other uh, interplanetary beings, and the fear grows and then ultimately consumes and destroys them. And so Green Lantern, the fearless one is the idea, comes against fear to defeat it and to hold it at bay so that it can't run over top of people. It makes for great viewing. But beyond all of that, I want to take you to your Bible, which says a lot about fear and courage. But before I do that, I want to tell you one more thing about this stuff, a lot of this thing. The, the main enemy's name, his name is Parallax. Now, you may not know what Parallax is. It's actually a scientific term that they've stolen for this movie to kind of illustrate a point. Uh, let me, before I even tell you what it is, I want to describe for you what happened to me. See, in my car, I, I'm known as somewhat of a lead foot when I, when I drive. And there are gauges on my dashboard right there. And I don't have like a new funky car. I have an old car that still has dials, you know. Anybody out there with me? Drive the old, old car club? That's me. Still has dials. I'm on little digital readouts. And what happens is those dials stand out from the marks on the gauge just a little bit. You know, maybe a half a centimeter, maybe a centimeter, I don't know. But when you're sitting in front of the gauges and you look down, you get a direct shot of what's happening on your gauges. However, if you sit in the passenger seat and look at the gauges because of a thing called parallax, your vantage point causing you to look at a point in, in direct connection to its background gives you a slightly different view than if you look at it head on. If you're on the right side, it looks different. If you're on the left side, it looks different. Now, this has worked to my advantage because the speedometer on my car as it goes up this way, and I can see exactly where I am, when my wife looks at it, because of her angle, it actually looks like I'm going a few miles per hour slower than I actually am. It works to your advantage, big time. It really, it really does. That's not to say we haven't thought about this stuff, because the same thing happens with the gas gauge. When you're on the right side, the passenger side looking over to the driver's side, what happens is the gas gauge actually looks a little bit lower than it really is. And many, many times she's urged me to pull over and get gas. And of course, being a man, I don't take instruction from anyone. And so uh, we, we've thought about that. Now, let me show you it's kind of scientifically what parallax is like. Here, here, here's the, uh, the deal here. This actually has a deep spiritual implication. You see viewpoint A up there on top, that's an eyeball, and viewpoint B. 
there's the object we're looking at, whatever it is, just an object, right? Well, viewpoint B, because of its relative position to the object and its background, sees the star in the red box. But viewpoint A, looking at the same object from a different vantage point, sees the, ob sees the object in the blue box. That's the whole point of parallax. Now, in this movie, parallax is the personification of fear. And when the Bible talks about fear, in fact, this is real life, you didn't have to know the Bible, this will play out in your own life. When you look at fear, a couple of things, when you look at something that makes you afraid, a couple of things that happen. A fear, in fact, is, is an opportunity. It's a powerful opportunity. Because every time you're afraid of something, there's an opportunity for you to just stall, feel the fear, get paralyzed by the fear. Or there's an opportunity to step up. To, in the lesson that Hal learned in this movie, not just be fearless, that really wasn't his quality. He struggled with fear all the way through the movie. It wasn't that he was fearless. It's that he, however, looked at the thing in front of him, and rather than being paralyzed, he was willing to move forward, even in the face of fear. Uh, he had what we would call courage. See, courage isn't being fearless. Courage is moving forward, even in the face of fear. This is the story of almost every hero in the Bible. I would say everyone, maybe with the exception of Jesus, I, I don't know that he felt fear like we feel, but every other major player in the Bible who did unbelievable things with God and for God and God worked through them and they changed people's lives, changed, they struggled with the feelings of fear. How do I know this is true? The most common command in your Bible, in my Bible, is the phrase, fear not. It's a Declarative, imperative, command, statement. It, in Greek, it carries several different tenses, but at the end of the day, it's basically saying, don't be overcome, don't be paralyzed, don't give in to the thing you see, and get stopped, get stuck, get held up. Now, this is really important because every time fear opportunities show themselves in the Bible, God looks at an individual and says, basically, what are you going to do? This has happened all through human history. We're today celebrating July 4th. Wondering today, by the way, if there's anybody in this room who has served in the armed forces. Anybody in the room raise your hands? Yeah, a few of you guys. Thank you. Air Force. Yeah, that's right. That's good stuff. Yeah. How about Air Force? In the room, any Air Force in the room? Do I see any Air Force? Yeah, there we go. There's one. Yeah, Navy, Marine, Army, Coast Guard. Well, that Coast Guard football team, don't they do great? Oh, wait, they, they don't have one. Anyway, just a military joke there for you. Every time somebody has an opportunity to do something, look at an event, look at something that's potentially scary, it opens up an opportunity for them to be paralyzed or to move forward. I don't know what you're facing today. I know that in this room, real life is happening. There are people facing relational junk. There are some of you are facing some spiritual mountains, you're going through stuff, and your faith feels like it's on uh, soft soil, not solid ground. Some of you are going through economic stuff right now, emotional stuff. Some, some people in this room have hurt you deeply. Some of you are facing a decision that needs to be made. Some of you are trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. If this person is the person you're going to marry, should I date this person? You're, real life is happening right now in this room. God comes alongside of us and says, now what are you going to do? You have an opportunity in front of you. And you can, and it would be normal and understandable to let fear grip your heart. That would be normal. And normal in the sense of it happens. It happens to everybody. Everybody in this room knows what that's like, to be afraid. Or you can be courageous. You can move forward. And for those of us that are following Jesus, 
even for those that aren't, there's an open invitation by God to say, come next to me and I'll walk with you through this thing. You can live out the command of the Bible, the most common command of the Bible, which says, fear not. Now, not be fearless. That's not what it's all about. But it's about moving forward in light of it. It happened all through the Bible. It's happened in history. Many of you in this room have done this in service to your country, and we are grateful. It happened when Rosa Parks, for instance, decided she wouldn't sit in the back of the bus. It happened in the Middle East recently in Egypt when a group of people rose up and said no to the government. Whether you think about that or not, it was a courageous, courageous act. It happens in this room, represented in this room, every time a man decides to be true to his faithful, be faithful to his marriage vows and not move down another direction. It happens every time a friend stands up for another friend while a third friend's talking about them behind their back. I mean, it takes a certain amount of courage. It happened in your Bible. It happened when David walked into the valley carrying some bread and cheese for his brothers, and he sees the enemy of the Lord's army by the name of Goliath, a big BMF guy. In fact, we use the Goliath today's the, the, the word to still talk about something being big. And Goliath was defying the armies of God and challenging folks and saying, send me your best warrior, and we'll go ahead to head. One-on-one -on -one representative battle, and the winner of our individual battle will represent the winner of the entire war if Goliath wins, God's army is defeated, and no one, no one would go forward. None of the rugged men, none of the battle-tested soldiers, the king himself wouldn't go, and here's the little shepherd boy. Do you think David was afraid? Yeah. Yeah, he was afraid. And yet something kicks in for him, a courage kicks in, and keeps him from being stuck in his situation and actually propels him to move forward. Now here's, here's what I want to say to you. See, I've been watching quite a bit of movies, much more than I typically watch. We got a call from the rave recently. One of the challenges of being in a temporary uh, facility is, is that sometimes they'll call you and say, you got to move your stuff. So we get a call this week, and our storage room is over here, and we had to move our stuff out because they're working here, and they're totally legit, totally fine. We're glad to do it, just glad to be here. But we had to move, well, as a consequence of that, we had to sit and watch a movie. That was kind of the, free, you know, you know how that works, right? You do a little extra work, take a little play time. So we're sitting here watching a movie, and it's all about the battle again. It's all about the, the war and the struggle and the challenge. And while I'm watching it, something cool happens, I notice. I noticed that every time something's about to get intense, every opportunity they face where they could either be stuck in fear or move forward in courage, the music slows down and the backbeat thumps just a little bit. And, and, and as the movie intensifies, the music intensifies. In fact, I can't really tell which is moving me, which is really sucking me in, the visuals or the sound. No, in a movie, when you're coming up to these moments, if you watch Green Lantern this week, what you'll notice is every time you come, both visually, and auditorially, you're sucked in emotionally to the moment, to that pregnant moment where the decision is going to be made. Am I going to be paralyzed in fear, or am I going to move forward in courage? Grabbing hold of my fear, walking with God, in, in the case of our situation here. Now, here's the thing. That's what happens in a movie. Never in my life, friends, have I ever come to one of those moments that in the backdrop of my life there was an orchestra playing. I've never gotten a lighting cue. I've never gotten a visual cue. I've never gotten music playing, cueing me in that this is one of those moments. It's one of those moments where when no matter how it goes, it's going to define the rest of my life. See, this is what I want to talk with you about, not even fear or courage. I want to talk with you about those defining moments in your life that happen to every one of us. Some of you are in the middle of one right now. And here's the challenge, unlike the movies. 
We don't get clued in often where those decisions are. Sometimes there's a certain wisdom at work in your life and you have a little intuition about a thing based on past experiences. You know this is important. Sometimes parents, for instance, know that the decisions their children are making are important, even if the kids don't. And sometimes they'll share that wisdom and in a responsive, you know, healthy adolescent child, they listen to their parents and do what? Wait, I can't keep going down that road. There's no integrity in that. Um, sometimes, though, you'll listen to your friends and you'll hear them talk and you'll respond. But often what happens in life, you come to these moments, these defining moments in life, and you have no idea that you're in the middle of one. A decision being made. On the surface, it may not even seem all that important. What do, you, what do you do in walking through your daily life to walk in courage with God? How do you keep moving forward even if you don't fully understand the situation you're in? And what, if, what if you don't know all the details about a thing and you've got to make a decision? How do you do that? This is where the Bible isn't silent. The Bible gives us practical information here about navigating the daily turns of life, many of which we don't even know we're making, many of which seem very small to us right now, but get 20 years down the line, the decision that seems small today becomes very important as we get hindsight, as we get rearview mirror perspective. So how do you manage all of that? You know, it's pretty common when I taught high school to be looking at a kid who was about ready to graduate and I start talking to them about their life plans. And almost always, 80, 90% of the time, I could watch a little emotion overcome them. It was an emotion that it's hard for me to kind of put into words, but I think you might be able to relate to. It was an emotion that looks a lot like fear as they contemplated, oh my goodness, I'm about to be done with high school. And in their minds, and they're not wrong, real life is about to begin. I mean, real life. Like the, when I make decisions now, like for instance, if I choose to go to school A, then I shut the door on all my other options. And they get the sense that this is a, a weighty moment. It happens when I'm talking to one of the young single guys in the church, and they are dating a girl, and they want to know if she's the one. And you can see them kind of wrestling with the fact that this decision really matters. It's what happens when a couple's deciding whether or not to take a job and move and leave family and friends. Sometimes you get a sense that the decisions are massive and weighty, and you have to pause and consider. Other times, life just happens. But here's the deal, friends. Defining moments are happening all around us. And how we decide to move through them, what we decide to do with them, sets the course of our life. Your life and my life, as we look back, is simply the function of the decisions we made and the actions we took. It really is. This is the testimony of the scripture. You, you look back as the Bible talks, for instance, in the book of Hebrews about the heroes of the faith. People who have been long dead and now they're talked about in reverential ways. The words of awe, inspiring stories, all hinged on decisions made, pregnant moments where people had to press in or stay where they were, follow the hunch that God had put on their heart or follow their own desires, self-sacrifice and do the hard thing now for a future payoff or give in to pleasure now, take all the payoff immediately and forget the eternal and forget the important. Every one of the heroes of faith in your Bible came to those moments, moments of decisions. Often they knew they were important, often they didn't. No, the music doesn't intensify. The lights don't dim in your life when you come to one of those moments. So what do you do? What do you do? The Bible talks about it this way. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. It's in your Bible, in the book of John. John chapter 16. 
Jesus is about to describe him leaving. And he's told his disciples he's going to be gone and leave them alone. And they're going to be facing this world without him. He's not going to be physically present anymore. And then he says to them, but I'm going to leave you a gift, my Holy Spirit. And while I won't be with you physically, I'll be with you spiritually. I'll, in fact, I'll be with you even in a more real way. Because while I'm here spiritually, I have chosen to take on the form of flesh and the limitations of humanity. I can be in one place at one time having a conversation with a few of you at once. But when I go away, when I'm crucified and resurrected and I go back to heaven, I'm going to leave the gift of my Holy Spirit that is not limited by time and space and can go with you wherever you are. He'll abide with you. I'm with you, he says. He'll be in you. And then Jesus tells them why he's telling them this stuff. They're kind of glazed over. They know it's important. They're a little fearful. They don't want, they've invested three and a half years of their lives, lives the disciples have, and now he's telling them it's coming to a conclusion. That's how they hear it. When what he's really telling them, depending on the angle you look at it, is it's a new beginning. And then he tells them why he's telling them this. In John 16, verse 33, here's what he said. I've told you these things about me leaving leaving the Holy Spirit with you. I'm with you. He's going to be in you. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace as opposed to fear. An internal strength, an internal comfort, not laziness, but an internal rightness as opposed to the conflict all around you in the world. I told you these things so that in me, in my connection to you, you can have peace. Now listen to what he says. Mm. I wish this verse were in the Bible. But it's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true, because it tells a complete picture. It says, in this world, you will have, don't you love this word, trouble. You're going to have trouble. I mean, it's there. In the movie, Green Lantern, he says, let's go look for trouble. I have found you don't have to look very far. It will come find you. I mean, you can just be going along your normal job, hitting your general benchmarks, doing just fine, and an economy can collapse around you. Well, you, you didn't have to go looking for it. It will come find you. You can be generally doing well with your kids. There's no perfect parents, but you can be generally doing well, and all of a sudden they can go through a life crisis, sometimes uh, you know, spontaneously generated by their connection to their friends or a decision they made, sometimes just because it's natural adolescent drama. Uh, you don't have to go looking for trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And then he says, look at this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How do you navigate these moments, some of which you don't even know you're having? Jesus says, here's how you do it. You connect with him. You receive his gift of the Holy Spirit. And you walk in a close connection with him through the normal turns of life. Now listen to me, friends. It's not near as sexy when I say that as if I could say to you, somewhere out there there's a ring that has magical powers. And if you could only find this ring, put it on your finger and commit to wearing it, you'll be fine. Whenever trouble comes, put the ring in the lantern. Boom, you're fine. I know it doesn't sound sexy, but when you unpack it, it's power. Jesus says that because of your connection to him, you have available to you the gift of God's spirit. God's spirit is a powerful force. It is the thing that God breathes into Adam, the breath of life that gave animation to a lump of clay, made him a living soul. It's Connected to the fact that you and I are made in the image of God. And when we are connected to him, when we choose to follow our connection to him and walk with him and receive his grace and salvation, it gets re-energized in us. A dead part of us gets brought back to life. A blind part of us begins to see. A deaf part of us begins to hear. 
lameness begins to walk. It animates us. It moves us. Part, part of the Holy Spirit's job in this world is to bring us to life. But that's not all he does. The Bible says this about the Holy Spirit. You, you can do some research here. The part of the Holy Spirit's world is to, a role in this world is to bring upon us a sense of conviction. Now, this is a word that for some reason uh, is avoided. I, I don't know why because this is a powerful word. Conviction is an exterior dynamic is happening to you. You view it, and from your vantage point, it may or may not look great, depending on what angle you're looking at it at. But God uses the Holy Spirit's role of conviction to show us and reveal to us certain challenges about that thing. Certain opportunities, and he convicts our hearts, he impresses upon us. Sometimes to steer clear, some of you in this room have been convicted to press in and hold on. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sometimes will do this to you, and you don't even really realize it's all that important of a thing. And later on, you'll get some backwards view, some rear view mirror hindsight, where you realize that was more important than I realized. Thank God I leaned in that way. I wonder if there's anybody in the room, don't raise your hand, no need to here. If you've ever done something and as you were involved in the thing, in the relationship, and the decision, you had this internal sense of, uh, I don't know, I don't know, and you went and did it anyway? I'm not talking about like the general questioning. I'm talking about like you had a sense that maybe God wanted you to pause, and you went ahead and did it anyway. And you look back and you went, whoops, that made me dumb. That was stupid. I, I should have listened to that. See, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us both towards God and away from the world. And then he convinces us of something that I want to leave you with that I think is the most powerful thing about the role of the Holy Spirit. I really do. He convinces us of just how powerful Jesus is. He convicts us of our connection to this world, both to press to God and to avoid the world. And he convinces us of who Jesus is and the role of God in our life. He is, the Bible says, the deposit of God in us. It's like, it's like if you were going to go to a bank and take out a loan. And you leave an initial amount of money. And over time, you're going to pay that thing. That's the very language the Bible uses to describe the Holy Spirit in our lives, this gift from God. It is the deposit, the first installment that will pay out over time and ultimately bring you to full completion. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And it builds in us a sense of just how powerful Jesus really is. You know what I wish I could do for everyone? I wish that I was such a masterful storyteller, an amazing movie maker, and I could paint for you just how powerful Jesus is, how wonderful he is. How, I wish I could turn up the lights on Jesus and make him so plain and clear to you, because here's what I know will happen to you if that happens. If you get a clear sense of Jesus, if you get a sense of just how powerful and awesome and great he is, everything else gets dimmer. Remember Parallax? For instance, if Jesus is the object we're looking at, and you're looking at it from vantage point A, he is beautiful, wonderful, magnetic, attractive, the kind of thing you run towards and you leave everything else behind. I want that for you. Because that will literally change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your friendships. It'll change how you spend your money. It'll change how you make your money, what you do with your free time. It'll change the conversations you have, your thought process, your private life. It will give you that sense of peace and completeness. Some people look at Jesus, the same object, from a different perspective. And they see him against the backdrop of harsh rules. 
difficult choices. Sacrifice. Self-discipline. And it isn't attractive to them. I want to, if I can, lower the fear, lower the lies, and put Jesus in his right perspective. Somebody said, in fact, that's the goal of all preaching. The whole point we gather together as a community of followers of Jesus is to worship God and have our hearts pulled towards just how worthy, worship-worthy, he is. And to illuminate Jesus. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. Turn your eyes on Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm telling you, friends, it changes everything. All around you, you're engaging a world and you're coming upon moments of decision. Sometimes fear will grip your heart because you'll know how important it is. You'll have an opportunity to get paralyzed or move forward. Sometimes you won't even know it. So God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and says, follow his nudgings. Cultivate a relationship. Engage God through this dynamic. Listen to the conscience. But most of all, listen to a spirit-inspired conscience. Read about God in his word so that you can begin to understand him and know him. So that when he speaks, his voice is recognizable. So that if the Bible says of the good shepherd, his sheep hear his voice and the voice of another they will not listen to. This is what God wants for us. What's the result of all this? What happens when you walk with God like that? There is inside of you an inherent, an inherent courage. I, I think courage is lacking in our world. A courage to do the right and avoid the wrong. A courage to stand up for those that others don't stand up for. A courage to press in even when the going gets rough. Listen, everybody loves mercy. One of the beautiful traits of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things Christians are known for. But I want to tell you, it takes courage to be merciful. You know, Pilate in the Bible, who was the Roman in charge while Jesus, Pilate was merciful to a point until it got uncomfortable. When it got uncomfortable and he got some pressure from the Jewish underlords underneath him and the sense of potential revolt, well, then his mercy ran dry. What if he had been more courageous? I, most of us in this room are good-hearted people. We'll do things until the pressure intensifies. We'll do the right thing. We'll stand up for the right. We'll tell the truth until the pressure intensifies. I see this in my little kids, right? Don't you in the room have little kids? Is it kind of an ongoing life lesson when you're looking them in the eye and you're talking to them about what they did or didn't do and you know they're lying to you? Have you ever had this happen? I, maybe my kids are the only ones that have ever lied. And you can see it. They're making this ongoing choice in their head. I don't think I'm going to tell the truth here because I think the consequences may not be what I want. They're not like processing it that way, but that's exactly what they would love. It. My kids are good kids, but the pressure of doing the courageous thing, facing the music, sometimes it's too much. I'm saying to you that since you don't always know when these decisions and these moments in life will come, you and I need the active presence of God in our life, the Holy Spirit. In order to do some pretty tough life. In this world you will have trouble. But don't think. Take heart. Don't be afraid. Because Jesus says I have overcome the world. John writes the gospel of John in your Bible. And he writes three letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John you can read all of them in about seven minutes. I mean they're just not long. Over and over and over again he processes this idea of overcoming. Don't give in. Overcome. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Press forward. Move on. God is with you. You can do this. 
Walk with him. Actively invite him into your life. Get up each day saying, God, show me what you want me to see. Get up each morning saying, God, if you'll direct me down the road, when I come to hard choices that I may not want to make, I'm going to do them with you. I know I'm never alone. I know you're right beside me. And watch how those simple action items, those simple setting of your agenda, watch how that will change the trajectory of your day. You may see some small incremental changes as you do that, but let me make a promise to you. One that I give you a money-back guarantee on. You go 20 years that way, 20 years of getting up and saying, Jesus, I'll follow you today. Over the course of 20 years, your life, as you look back over it, and the folks around you watch your life, your kids, and the people over whose life you have influence, they will see a life of faithfulness, a life of courage, a life of dramatic impact and change. Oh, your life will count. It will matter. You will, you will, without stretching the word, be pushing back the forces of darkness. Sometimes you won't even know it. And around you, there will be shining light. It will be the light of Jesus. And you won't always do it perfectly. But he'll be with you in grace and in power. It's why the writer of the Hebrews looked at the audience he was writing to. He said, now listen, guys, don't put off meeting together regularly like some people are. Some people have fallen off the wagon. Don't do this. But come together even more as you see this world rushing towards its conclusion. Keep coming together and being reminded about just how great Jesus is. I'm telling you, friends, he makes all the difference. He makes all the difference for your eternal destiny, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about him making all the difference right now when you get up and say, today, God, I'll follow you. Today, I'll make some tough choices. Choices that maybe run against my nature. Choices that will cost me a little bit, but choices that are right and true and bring peace and justice to people around me. That extend mercy sometimes when it's not fun. That take up for the person who's not there that can't take up for themselves. I'll be loyal and true, faithful and just. And I'll make sacrifices and I'll reach out a hand and I'll serve alongside. And I'll keep my marriage vows. And I'll be a loyal, trusted friend. And I'll watch the, what's going on in my heart. And I won't let sin take root. And I won't let bitterness take root. If I have challenges with people, I'm going to pursue peace. I'm going to pursue making the, the humps in life level out relationally. I'm going to be the one pursuing peace and restitution. And where I've wronged somebody, I'm going to do all I can to make it right. Simple decisions like that every day. You'll probably never hear the orchestra strike up behind you. You probably never hear the Jaws music coming down to that moment. What are you going to do? It's probably never going to happen. But what you'll do is you'll have that whisper of the Holy Spirit leading, guiding. You'll be becoming more and more familiar with your Father's voice. You'll hear Him respond. And over the course of a lifetime, it will make all the difference for you. It really will. It really will. Why don't you grab out your Connect card? Let's take a few steps together. It's a congregation. I wonder if anybody would join me in memorizing John 16, 33, the one verse we had today. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I like to memorize the Bible portions like this so that I can hide that the Bible says God's word in my heart so I don't sin against him, so I don't walk outside the line so that I get to know him more and the relationship I have with him is more vibrant and real. I wonder if you'd join me in memorizing that verse. Now, here's next step B. Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about Cars 2, which is going to be fun. 
And I'm bringing my boys uh, to watch Cars with me Wednesday right here at the Rave Theater at 720. I wonder if there are some moms and dads or aunts and uncles, cousins. Grab a few kids. Bring them with you to join me right here. Now, this is the next step we're going to take. We're going to look at some major themes that overlap themes from God's Word uh, right there in Cars number two. All right, now, here's next step C. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would like to just admit that God has directed you to do some things. And because of fear, because of hesitation, because it seemed like the price was too high, you put off doing it. Here's what God would like you to do with that today. Just as a way of kind of reconnecting him and plugging back in to hear his voice. He'd like for you to repent of that. Just God forgive me. Repentance is asking him to forgive you and then turning and going in the right direction. I guarantee you there's some of us in the room that need to do this. So if that's you, man, just receive his grace. Get in intimate connection with Jesus and let him change everything. And the next step, D. I wonder if there's anybody in the room who would say, Ben, there's some things I've been putting off that I know I need to do. And, and I keep getting the sense I need to press in, press in, press in. Look, I just want to challenge you. Step forward. I mean, leave here today and get an action plan of how you're going to take that one step in the right direction. You know how David beat Goliath? He stepped out onto the field, put one foot in front of the other, let God lead him. I mean, really, that's the way it happened. You know how John the Baptist stood in front of a king and said, what you're doing is wrong, God's calling you to account. You know how he's able to do that? He took that first step. That's why we really value next steps around here. You taking one step in the direction of God, and then another, and then another, and another. Let's pray about those things right now. Lord Jesus, you're good. God, I thank you for how you're speaking all around us. You speak in our lives. You speak through friends. You speak in your word. You speak through the power of the Holy Spirit. You even speak through movies. Now, God, I pray that in this room, we would have a deep sensitivity to you. That we would long for you, God. That we would become so familiar with your voice that we would hear it and recognize it. And that, God, there would be a revival of obedience in this room your people doing what you ask them to do. God, we make decisions all the time. We move down life's road every day. And sometimes we don't even realize what's at stake. God, I pray that for a few moments right now in prayer, you would pull back the veil and let us see. God, let us see how important our commitments are. Let us see how important our daily decisions are. Let us see how important every word that comes out of our mouth is. Don't let that be on us such a weight, but let it instead, God, inspire us to get up every morning with a determined heart to follow you. God, I pray this in your powerful and holy name. Amen and amen.